0: Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs. I am unfortunately not joined by Danny Meringue tonight, but I am joined by Bleacher Report's Sean Hyken. Welcome to the show, Sean.
1: Uh, so good to be with you, Tara. We should we should probably mention that this is kind of a you know we have the lo- great lost episode that's the two of us and Dan.
0: Yes, I uh, was uh, wanted to because that was my fault that we lost that recording. So I want to fess up to that, and I am so
1: sorry. Because uh, we did have an amazing conversation last night. No, I, I wasn't trying to put you on blast there. I was just, I was just like, we, we the listeners have to know that there is a lost episode out there. It's part of the Blazers Edge legend.
0: Yeah, well, I mean, I was going to cop to it anyway. So, um, but my favorite part about it is we got super, super close to Dan admitting that he was wrong about something. Of course, he didn't, but he was really close. And I just I that warmed my heart. And then, of course, I flew too close to the sun and the whole thing disappeared.
1: (laughs) Now, Dan, Dan has plausible deniability, which I mean, yeah, exactly.
0: He'll be like, I never said that. You misinterpreted that.
1: (laughs) There's no I mean, it's, it's your word against his like there's there's no proof now that that he actually said that Carmelo Anthony has actually had somewhat of a positive impact on the Blazers.
0: Well, you know, you're the one who said it Um, right now. It wasn't me, so he can't hold that against me. Uh, But, yeah, it is a bummer that he is not able to uh, be here tonight. But, like, we couldn't let another day go by without talking about Carmelo Anthony, who is now the Western Conference Player of the Week. I mean (laughs) – (laughs) Who would have thought? I just, I'm just trying to remember back seven days ago. Seven days ago, the Blazers were coming off of a four game losing streak, a tough road trip. And today the Blazers are coming off of three wins and they're headed into some, you know, some tough games. But what a difference a week makes. I don't know if you experience that kind of a roller coaster. You might, uh, might be a little more, more detached. Um, but kind of what's been your experience over like the last couple weeks?
1: Well, I think, I think the, the big takeaway is that the cure for any team is struggling is play the bulls twice in a week and then <laughs> things start to look a lot rosier. I will just say I got the notification cause I have, I have the note Twitter notifications turned on for a few accounts, including the NBA's like official PR account that tweets out like press releases. And when I saw the one this morning that said, uh, Giannis and Teddy and Carmelo Anthony named Eastern and Western Conference Players of the Week. I just started cracking up because, I mean, look, like this this was definitely a Lifetime Achievement Player of the Week award that they gave to Melo because they honestly, they probably don't know that he's going to keep this up for much longer and they want to give him something, you know, because he's back in the league. Because obviously, you know, James Harden, Luka Doncic, there are other guys that. You can look at and say probably should have won player of the week, but at the same time, it's like, who's going to get mad about a player of the week award? You might as well just let Carmelo have this, right?
0: Oh, there's plenty of people who are mad.
1: <laughs> oh, I, oh, no, no, I've, I've, I've seen it, but it's like, like I just can't think of anything that's less worth getting mad about yeah. than a player of the week award. I don't think that they're, they even give out a physical trophy for a player of the week award. I know they do for player of the month because- Like they'll do a they'll do a like a pregame on court presentation, uh, with the player when they win, you know, in front of the home fans when he wins player of the month. So there is a little trophy, and I've always kind of joked that like, what does LeBron even do with his player of the month trophies? Does he like use them as paperweights? Because there's no way he has room. In, his, in the trophy room at his main house or his second house or maybe even his third house for his Player of the Month awards, because he has so many other accolades. But, like, you know, great. This is Carmelo Anthony's 19th Career Player of the Week award. It's his first one since 2014 when he was on the Knicks. So, like, good for Melo.
0: <laughs> for sure. I mean, you know, they don't have criteria. they It's just you give it to who you want to give it to. And I think, I don't know if... It's a it's a kind of a welcome back to the league. You had a great week, you know. Pat on the back. We're proud of you. And also, like you know, how much did the NBA help him get back into the league? I mean, I'm not I'm not saying that they did it to like you know make up for him being out of the league for so long, but you got to think that they were like, you know what, we need to do something. You know the other fun thing that we're going to get with Mello, um is going to be tribute videos, possibly from other other teams. I wonder when we're going to get those.
1: Yeah, well, well, I mean, I'll bet I'll bet the Knicks do one because I mean, I think I think you know, despite the way the last couple of years went, and I think I think like that any of the you know the the animosity between Mello and the Knicks. I think that was entirely a Phil thing, not a Knicks thing. I think once Phil Jackson left cuz like there, there was there were you know when when Phil was still a team president, you know, he had kind of said all that stuff about wanting to trade Mello and saying that Mello was the problem with the Knicks. Uh Mello came out and said, you know, I'm not going to waive my no trade clause under any circumstances ever. Like I'm just I'm going to block any attempt that they have to trade me. And then as soon as Phil steps down from the job, Mello's like, "Hey, suddenly I'm open to waiving the no trade clause." He re- that was that was all about Phil. And I think, I remember last year, uh, near the end of the season, when Mello was technically on the Chicago Bulls payroll, but not actually on the team, uh, he showed up at Madison square garden for one of Dwayne Wade's final games. And they showed him on the jumbotron and he got a standing ovation from the Knicks fans. Like it seems like in New York, people still really like Carmelo. And I think, I believe the blazers are playing at MSG on new year's day or new year's Eve uh, sometime, maybe about a month from now. So I would imagine they'll probably do something for mellow Denver next week. I don't know, just because, I mean, he was great for them. They made the conference finals with him, but he did kind of force his way out of town. But then at the same time, like, they got a lot back in the trade and they stayed relevant for a couple of years. At Like, I don't know. I guess I guess it's a little bit more complicated with Denver. I don't think he's getting a tribute video in Oklahoma City because he wasn't very good that year and certainly Houston.
0: <laughs> well, we kind of talked about this last night and I thought it was, a, it was something I hadn't thought about before. Is Melo the most famous person who's ever played
1: on the Blazers? I would argue Scottie Pippen just because he has the Michael Jordan Association and Michael Jordan is literally the greatest player in NBA history, the most iconic player in NBA history. And Pippen was the number two guy on those championship teams that are the most iconic teams, arguably, in NBA history. And the Blazers also had some pretty good teams while Scottie Pippen was there. So I would argue it's Scottie Pippen. But then I think Melo is probably number two in terms of just like pure – Casual fans who aren't basketball diehards know who this guy is. I think it's Pippen and Mello are the two.
0: Well, and also think about, like, the pompoms pom- and circumstances that surround him. Like, they haven't had anybody, I don't think, like Mello, who has so much, like, celebrity cachet. I mean, do you really think that that Pippen had as much celebrity? Maybe, Maybe instead of the most famous player, I would say the biggest celebrity.
1: I think it's just a product of social media and just you know it's a lot it's you know there, there's just a lot more media and a lot and, you know these guys are just discussed a lot more i my last year on the bulls beat was the year that Dwayne wade was on the team and even though you know he was at the end of his career by that point he was way past his prime but still like Dwayne wade has the lebron association his wife is an actual hollywood celebrity he kind of operates in a different state in a different space than you know most you know just any like jimmy butler is famous to nba fans but you know most people who don't know about basketball don't know who Jimmy Butler is, but they might know who Dwayne Wade is because he's married to Gabrielle Union. And, you know, he does stuff outside of basketball that gets a lot of attention. Carmelo Anthony is kind of the same way in terms of he's a guy both because he's so closely associated with LeBron because they're such good friends and they came into the draft the same year. And LeBron is you know the most famous person in the sport in this century. And then also, you know, his wife, Lala, is an actress who's famous and has done stuff completely unrelated to him. Like he does, kind of have that cachet, and 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 I and I will say, you know, having been at both of their first two home games since making the signing, because they like, they they signed him during this road trip, and so it took a few games for them to actually play at home. But they played against Oklahoma City and Chicago. There was a different buzz around the team, mm-hmm. even though you know it's a thirty-five-year-old guy. Nobody's really expecting him to come in and save the season. I tweeted this picture of like an hour before his first game, uh, with at home with the Blazers. The main team store at the Rose Garden was sold out of Carmelo jerseys. And this is a 35-year-old guy who was just signed off the street having not been in the league for a year. And then there was, you know, there's this buzz like around the players. The players seem like they're enjoying having him back because he's a Hall of Famer and all this other stuff. Uh, it, it, it just, it's, it's just like it's creating a different level. And I know on my end, as somebody who writes for Bleacher Report, which is a national outlet, like whenever I, you know, most of the stuff that I write on a day-to-day basis for them is focused on the visiting team because from a national perspective, my editors and you know other people at BR will tell me like there isn't a lot of national interest in the Blazers outside of Dame. Like there's national interest in Dame because he's a big star and he's a big name and he's, you know, somebody who's in commercials that casual fans know. But most of the time I'm targeting whoever is interesting on the visiting team to do something on or talk about because there's more national interest there. Now Carmelo Anthony is on the team, and you know, it's one of the most decorated and accomplished guys of the last 20 years and you know suddenly now there's it it becomes a lot more interesting for me from a media standpoint so this has definitely raised the blazers profile nationally regardless of what happens on the court and whether the signing ultimately works out or not
0: oh i want to turn in a minute to what is happening on the the court but i want to like talk about for me the thing that i i was not expecting that this would be so much fun like in a team that at the time seemed to be, you know, searching for answers, searching for a lineup that worked, you know, they knew Yusuf Nurkic was going to be out. They didn't know that they were going to lose Zach Collins at the beginning of the year. Uh, some of the players who they had assigned to take in secondary roles were now being thrust into, um, you know, more starting or more minutes than maybe they had intended. Like th- things were were rough. And then Carmelo Anthony came, and I remember the first game that he played in, he stepped out on the floor, and there was just, like, sort of this electric – the fans in the arena were excited about it. The players on the court were clearly excited about it, and it just – like, I hadn't even thought about that aspect. I was trying so hard to figure out, like, could he keep up – With the team, I, you know, and having been out for a year, was he going to be in shape enough to be able to do what he needed to do on the court? And the minute he stepped out on the court, I was like, oh, there's a guy who knows the NBA. Like, he was a guy who knew what his role or what he's supposed to do. And like... The Blazers had gotten to a point where, you know, they were struggling. We were uh, wondering what was going to be the regular rotation. We had convinced ourselves that it was a really good thing, that all these young players were getting a lot of minutes. And I still enjoy that. But I had in my mind, like, well, this is exactly what we want. We want the young players to get all of this early exposure. Um, And suddenly they had, like I said, they had a guy on the court who wasn't learning the game while he was playing it. And so, like... For you, when you saw him out on the court, you know, had you had you thought through the whole like non-basketball aspect of what Carmelo Anthony coming onto the Trailblazers would be like?
1: Oh, I I will tell you I got I got and I actually had a, had a have, have kind of had this running, you know, inside joke with uh, a couple of other, you know, Blazers adjacent writers, uh, my buddy Eric Gunderson who I don't know if he's been on this podcast before and then Corbin Smith who freelances at a bunch of different places. The three of us have kind of had this running joke of like, oh, you know, the Blazers need to bring Mellow home to Portland and and you know, all 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 this stuff and it was like kind of a half joking thing. And then they actually signed him. And we're and, and you know, it, it became like, hey, you know, Eric and Corb spoke this into existence. And it I, I will just I mean, this is going back to what I was saying earlier about uh I, like I absolutely was thinking through the non-basketball side of this, because, you know, for me, I am not. I grew up a Blazers fan. I'm from Portland. But at this point, I've been doing this professionally for so long that you kind of lose your own, like, fandom and your emotional investment in whether the team wins or loses. Like, I wouldn't consider myself a Blazers fan. I'm still a fan of the NBA as a whole, and I love the sport and I love the league. But I don't, you know, live and die with each loss by one specific team the way that maybe, you know, you and Dan do and other, like, Blazers Edge people who, you know— unabashedly come out this from a fan perspective. That's great. That's just not really my perspective at this point. And so I'm, I'm thinking about this purely in terms of like how it's going to affect my day-to-day life and the job. And, Having a guy like Carmelo Anthony, who regardless of whether what he has left, if he does what he's doing, where he's been pretty good the last few games, and it becomes his feel-good story and he won Player of the Week, and it's actually it looks like he has something left. That's good for me. If he had completely flamed out after a few games and they cut him, and it was like in Houston, that's also interesting to me. So it was, there was it <laughs> was, it was definitely situation for you. <laughs> right, exactly. Like because I mean they could have signed somebody else off of the scrap heap. I, I don't, I don't even know off the top of my head like which other bigs could have been out there, but there's nobody they could have signed that would have had this much intrigue, I guess, as Carmelo Anthony. And the sad thing about the Blazers rotation, once they, you know, they lose Zach Collins, uh, three games into the season in Dallas, they're playing, you know, that's suddenly like they're running out Mario Hazonia, who, is it really not an NBA player at this point, unfortunately, like, you know, I want, I wanted to believe in, you know, him, you know, coming here and getting into a good situation and, you know, being able to make an impact that just has not happened. I don't know if it's ever going to happen. And then Anthony Tolliver, who has been very good in his career and has had a very good career as a role player, you know, in the front court, but hasn't really been that guy for the last couple of years. And just physically is, it's not there anymore. 35 year old, quote unquote washed Carmelo Anthony who has been out of the league for a year legitimately was an upgrade over the Blazers other power forward they were throwing out Nasir Little who looked pretty good for a 19 year old who had never played meaningful minutes in the NBA before but they drafted him as a long term project he was supposed to be like Anthony Simons and like barely even play his first year and then be ready down the line he is not supposed to be you know starting and so Carmelo Anthony who you know whatever you think about him and whatever he might have left he was actually an upgrade for them
0: Right. And I think the thing with those with especially Hazonia and Tolliver is that they were put into bigger roles than they should, at least Hazonia anyway. Like uh-huh. I'm, I haven't given up on him yet. I just think that he was put in a position where he like had to do too much or he like his mistakes were amplified because there wasn't anybody uh to cover him up. Um but to switch topics a little bit, I'm wondering: Do you have a theory, or have you developed a theory about why
1: he was out of the Anthony was out of the league so long? I'm not. Well, first of all, he was bad in Houston. Like there's, uh, he was he was not the like, reason. Like that bad. They, so explain exactly yeah, he was why not, you he say not, why you think that he was he bad. was. Well, he you know his defense is not good. He was ta- he was not shooting well. He was you know taking a ton of shots. It was it was it was just kind of like the you know the worst version of you know what Carmelo Anthony's detractors think he is in terms of just like you know a a ball stopper, a guy who takes a lot of inefficient shots and doesn't play a lot of defense. I will say this, you know, I Carmelo Anthony was not good in Houston he was not the reason that they got off to the bad start that they got off to he was not helping but he was not like because it wasn't like they cut Melo and then immediately they turn the season around and they become a contender again it took you know a little bit longer and then they brought Jeff bizdelic back their assistant coach who had retired you know partway through the season and or, or, or in the offseason and then you know their defense gets turned around all of a sudden and then and then they turn it around but I think it was more so just like Melo, you know, he's a big name. He still has kind of the association with the Knicks and just all the circus that came with that and with the whole Phil Jackson thing. And I think between those two things and Baxter Holmes at ESPN wrote a really interesting piece about this uh, over the offseason. About kind of why Melo had washed out the way that he did. And, you know, a lot of executives around the league were talking about how he basically was never willing to adapt to a bench role or, you know, take a little bit of a reduced role or change his shot selection from what it was uh, when he was in New York. And I think a lot of teams just kind of felt like it wasn't worth all the circus that would come with it. And, and honestly, if Zach Collins hadn't gotten hurt three games into the season, Carmelo Anthony might still be out of the league. I don't think the Blazers would have gotten desperate enough to sign him. And then if they didn't, would somebody else have? I don't know. But, you know, he clearly has at least enough left. You know, you can argue about whether this three games against, you know, the a terrible Bulls team and a not very good Thunder team is sustainable. But what he did in the last three games, like he belongs on an NBA court. Like you can, you can at least say that. And now, and now in retrospect, you can say, hey, maybe somebody should have picked him up. But that's, you know, that's hindsight.
0: Right. Well, and I keep thinking about the um, 2018 I was interested in Carmelo because that was back when Dame and CJ were both, you know, quasi campaigning to have him come. We know we'd been watching the Instagram photos of CJ playing pickup basketball with him and um, it was clear that they were interested in in him. So I was like, okay, what's the deal? Because I missed like the Carmelo Anthony experience. I was so focused on the Blazers. I didn't know anything about him. So I talked to people from every one of the fan bases that he had been to. And these are fans. So I was getting the fan perspective. Sure. And from each of those fan bases, like nobody had anything bad to say about him. Like even Denver? No, the people in Denver were like, the franchise was in trouble and he came and he was our new hope. You know, he was the guy that you know, gave us like, you know, he gave us years of um doing, you know, everything that was asked of him, of, you know, uh, being good on the court, being good off the court, you know, being good to the media. And like, just nobody had anything, even in Denver, you know, they were they were philosophical about the fact that like relationships end, right? You know, sometimes people, you know, people just don't stay anywhere for life anymore. And like you said, they they got something back <laughs> for him. And, you know, people in, in New York were the same way. Everybody, Even in OKC, they were like, yeah, he wasn't the greatest fit, but, like, nobody hated him. He was a good guy. He, you know, he gave, you know, he was, again, good to the fans, good to the media. The players liked him. Um, so anyway, I was just really puzzled where this uh, – You know, it seems like it was, you know, from the front office because the players all around the league seem to really, really like him. Um, So I don't know. I've just been puzzled about that. But I'm wondering now that you've uh, now that they've been home and played a couple of games, have you been in the locker room since he was added to the team? Yeah, I have. Okay, so any changes or, um, you know, any feeling that's that's uh, that you can talk about?
1: I mean, guys seem happier because they're winning. I mean, I the last time the last time I saw them in person bef- uh, was before the road trip and they had the back to back losses to Sacramento and Toronto. And, you know, Dame was kind of staying calm and saying, hey, you know, let's not panic. We're going to you know, we're going to turn this around. But, you know, when you're on this, you know, you're on this losing skid, guys are kind of bummed out and, and guys are kind of on edge. You, you know, after the last three games, they've won three games in a row and now it doesn't seem like the sky. I, I know, I, again, I know there's the caveat they beat some not very good teams, but you have to take wins wherever you can get them. And just winning three games in a row and stringing together some some W's in, in the standings, it's kind of start to dig yourself out of the hole. People are a little bit more relaxed. I don't know how much of that is the buzz about having a future Hall of Famer in Carmelo Anthony in the locker room and how much of that is guys are just in, generally in a better mood when you're winning than when you're losing. But yeah, I mean, I have been since they came back home from this road trip, I've been talking to players, not just on the Blazers, but in visiting locker rooms and, and about the whole Mello thing. Everybody, like everybody, like you just said, everybody likes the guy. And, you know, I've talked to, you know, beat writer. I have friends who are beat writers for the thunder or the, uh, Knicks. Uh, and you know, they all say from a media standpoint, when Mello was there, he was great to deal with players. all say he's a good guy and he's a good teammate. Like, Nobody's got a bad word to say about the guy on a personal level. He does a lot of charity work. He you know, he 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 seems like he's very well liked. I think that I think the negative perception of him comes from two things. I think one is there were two different times in his career where he had the opportunity to choose between more money and a better basketball situation because when he basically he you know, when he was in Denver, he basically forced a trade to the Knicks and if he had waited six months and just played out that season with Denver, New York would have had enough cap space to sign him. And he could have just gone to the Knicks where he wanted to go and they wouldn't have had to give up like half their rotation and, uh, you know, their next five years of draft picks to get him. But he wanted to go get traded now because then they would have his bird rights and they could give him a longer extension. That was the first time. And then the second time was in 2014 when he was a free agent again. uh, And this was when I was still on the bulls beat. He, came very close to signing in Chicago. Like they brought him in for a visit. Uh, they, you know, they did the whole billboard outside the United Center with the mellow and a number set. Like, like, the, like and, and he came very close to, like he wanted to go to Chicago. It's just, they didn't quite have max cap space. So he would have had to leave some money on the table to do that. And he ultimately ended up re-signing with the Knicks for a five-year max deal with the no trade clause and all of that. And so he, you know, at a couple of different times when he could have chosen between, taking a little bit less money for a better basketball situation he chose the money which i am not going to begrudge him for you know that's well within his right to do that it's his prerogative everybody values different things uh and, but i think among certain people you know a certain subset of fans who think that players make too much money and should be willing to sacrifice a little bit of money for winning uh, for a better chance to win that kind of created the stigma of, oh, Carmelo only cares about the money. He just, you know, you know he, cho- he chose the money over a better basketball situation. So I think that was one thing. And then the other thing is he was so good in those, Olymp- those three Olympics that he played in, in 2008, 2012, and 2016, uh, that they won the gold medal. And the way he played in those Olympic tournaments was so different than the way he has played in the NBA throughout his career. You know, he's a lot more of a facilitator. He's a lot more kind of a catch and shoot guy. He's not ISOing as much. And then, you know, fans look at that and say, well, why can't he play that way every year in the NBA? Why is he more focused on, like, I'm going to ISO, I'm going to jab step a million times and, and, and you know, just try to score a bunch of points? Like, I think it's like a, co- a combination of those two things. It's not a personal thing because, again, I've never heard anybody say Melo's a bad guy. And he, and by all accounts, he's not. And I've only dealt with him a little bit since he's been here. He seems great so far. I'm You know, I have zero negative things to say about him. But I think between a couple of times in his career when he chose money over a a more, you know, a better basketball situation and the way he plays in the Olympics versus the way he plays in the NBA, at at least up until now, I think those are the two things I if I had to say what would can, what has contributed to kind of the negative perception of him, I would have to say that that's it.
0: I think what you brought up about the uh, Olympics is really interesting. It's kind of the, like you, like you said, it's you, see somebody doing something and you're like, why don't you do that every night? <laughs> um, and so I will kind of want to transition though, into what you do see him doing every night now for the Blazers. Um, I mean, I know we have a very small sample size, uh, but can you talk about what you have seen in terms of the contributions that he's making on the basketball court?
1: Honestly, I have to say I'm not mad at his shot selection so far. I mean, there's a, he's, I don't feel, I mean, he is taking a ton of shots. I think he's averaging about 15 shots a game. And, 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 you know, he, and he's shooting, you know, 46%, uh, which is pretty good, but like he, but I even, even the, so some of the bat some of the shots that he's missed, I don't feel like I don't watch him and I feel like, Oh, why did he take that shot? Or, you know, that was a terrible shot. He should have passed there. I'm okay with the shots that he's taking. I think he's, you know, willing to, you know, take some shots just kind of in the flow of the offense and not force things. And I think to the Blazers' credit, they've been trying to get him comfortable. And you know, early on in those first couple of games, they they you know called a lot of plays for him and tried to get him the ball early and force feed him and kind of establish him just to get it, get him in rhythm and get him to feel like okay, we're actually trying to involve you in the offense here. So I've actually been, you know. Pretty happy with his shot selection, at least from you know, from the Blazers standpoint. And then, you know, he's made some pretty good passes. There were times when I thought he was just gonna, you know, force, you know, force him a bad shot and he's actually kicked it out. Maybe he found Rodney Hood in the corner for a three or found uh bca for a mid-range shot. Like like he's made some good passes. Physically, I don't think there's really a lot he can still do on the defensive end. He can't really stay in front of most guys, but it's see he, he seems active. He seems like calling, you know, he seems like he's talking a lot. He's you know, he's had a couple of blocks, which, I mean, I'm surprised he was still able to get up in that in that way, but, you know, he's he's been about the best case scenario of what you could expect 35-year-old Carmelo Anthony to be. Do I think he's going to be as good as he was in the last three games the rest of the way? No. Do I think he's going to be as bad as he was the first three games the rest of the way? No. I think it's going to be somewhere in between.
0: How do you—you you said that you're feeling, like, pretty comfortable, like, with the shots that he's taking. You're like, yeah, that, that makes a lot—that one made sense. Um I'm wondering if you know, what you think about the shot distribution or the redistribution or if you've noticed, uh, you know, money changes in the way the Blazers are, you know, who's getting the shots.
1: Well, and Freddie Simons, I think, is the guy that's been that's been if, if there's if there's anybody that you can point to and say this is somebody who has struggled to get back, you know, get, get, stay in the same rhythm that he was in or, you know, you know, keep up the momentum that he had going before Carmelo got here. I think it's Anthony Simons. He's been in a little bit of a shooting slump, and it seems like he's not getting the same looks that he was getting. I don't know. Again, this is a very small sample size. I don't know if that's a thing that's going to continue or if he's going to start making some shots, and then he's going to, you know, once, you're, once you start making shots, sometimes you start getting the ball more or you start calling for the ball more because you're more confident in your shot. I guess that's the one guy. You know, Rodney Hood, I think I would like to see Rodney Hood have a few more shot attempts, but... He's certainly knocking down the ones that he's taking. Like, like this is his best shooting season by far of his career.
0: Oh, I've loved watching Rodney Hood this season. He is pretty automatic. I mean, Dan mentioned this just, you know, after the first game, first week of games or so, um, at the point when people were making shots. And he was like, <laughs> considering how... In the last three years, if Mo Harkless or Alpha Rook Aminu got the ball, we all held our breath and like said our prayers and like wondered if it was going to go in. Um, To have it go into the hands of Rodney now, it's like, oh, that's going in. Oh, it didn't go in? Oh, that's kind of surprising. It's a very different uh, feeling this year than it has been in the fats. And that is no shame to uh, Harkless and Aminu because everybody knows how much I love them. Well, those guys aren't as
1: good as shooters as Rodney Hood.
0: Right. But yeah, it just, it was, we were so used to them getting the ball and it being like, is it going to go in? I don't know.
1: But now he's like, got it
0: like and we're more surprised when he actually misses.
1: Rodney Hood is shooting 53 percent from the field and 50.8 percent from three. I don't think that's I think that's going to come back down to even, you know, I don't think I don't think he's going to be shooting 50 percent from three the whole year. I like I think it's going to come down and like like his career averages, you know, mid mid to high 30s, like even if but even if he stays around there, like that's still pretty good.
0: Well, and one of the things that I was wondering about is, you know, I was concerned that you know, mellow coming in was going to take a bunch of shots away from, um, from Rodney hood, maybe to take him out of his rhythm. That doesn't seem to have been the case. And I kind of started to decide thinking more like maybe Rodney hood is just getting the shots that he needs to get. <laughs>
1: yeah. Yeah. I I'm not really looking at their offense and saying, Hey, I think they need to do a lot of, a lot of, a lot of things differently in terms of the guys that are taking shots. You know, given how well Rodney Hood is shooting, would you like to see him get a few more shot attempts? Sure, but I think I, I felt like at least in these last three games. And again, every single time I talk about these last three games, I have to throw out the caveat of they were playing the Bulls twice and the Thunder. Like you can't really be looking at this and saying this is going to be sustainable. But I do feel, you know, I do feel like they are most for the most part not forcing a lot of bad looks, and they're getting. I think I think a lot of this also is, you know, Dame missed a couple of games of the road trip with the back spasms, and. Since then, like, he won't admit that his back is still bothering him, but I think his back is still bothering him. And he seems like he's been a lot more willing, you know, m- more like, okay, I'm just going to slow play this. I'm not going to take a ton of shots myself. I'm, re- I'm still recovering from this back injury. I'm going to try to get guys other looks and I'm going to take a step back from my own offense and just try to facilitate more. And then the fact that CJ, you know, CJ had this terrible start to the year as far as his shooting. And then he's kind of picked it back up and maybe come back to, you know, what we expect from CJ at this point in the season. Like, I, I, I think it seems like everybody's, so, everything is sort of starting to fall into place. I don't, it's just a matter of is, is this all going to be sustainable?
0: Yeah. And I'm just keep trying to figure out what my expectations should be, because I keep thinking back to, you know, that night in March where Yusuf Nurkic went down. Mm -hmm. Yusuf Nurkic breaks his leg. And I think at that point, okay, that's it. That season was over and the next season is over and we're just going to regroup in 2021. We're just going to have to make it through the next season while we wait for Nurkic to get back. And then, of course, the Blazers, because this is what they always do. They out, you know, they exceed expectations. They go all the way to the Western Conference Finals. And then we get... they got
1: the best two months out of Anis canter that you're ever going to get. Right.
0: Exactly. All, everything fell into place like it always does for the Blazers. And part of the reasons everything falls into place for the Blazers is because they do things right. And that makes it easier for things to fall into place. But it's not necessarily because they, you know, have commensurate talent with some of these teams that have raw talent, um, but they do everything right. And so they exceed. And so then the, the season started and there was the championship discussion and, you know, even, even, you know, I got caught up in it. I didn't really think that they were going for the championship, but I thought, what's the harm in talking about it, right? What's the harm in saying, hey, we can at least repeat what we did last year. And then I got a look at the team and I was like, hmm, maybe this isn't going to go <laughs> as well. Um, but I just, I don't know where my expectations should be anymore.
1: <laughs> because What do you think? My expectations now are still about where they were going into the season. I loved that they were talking about wanting to compete for a championship, but I never even even with the Nurk injury, ever, so many things had to go right for them to get to as, get as far as they got last year. Like like, like I. Do, I don't know if they would have won that series against Oklahoma city in the first round. Uh, if Paul George had been at a hundred percent and clearly, you know, he had surgery on both shoulders in the offseason. his shoulder was clearly messed up and he was maybe like 20% of what you would expect Paul George to be. So, you know, they sort of caught a break there. And then I think the Denver team that they played in the second round was probably overall more talented than them, but it was just like kind of a young experienced team that wasn't really ready yet. And the Blazers were you know able to get past them. And, you know, they got a couple of good games from Evan Turner and Myers Leonard and you know, Cantor played well, like all, like all this stuff, and then even the Warriors, like they were pretty competitive in that series. They got swept, but they were up by 15 points in at some point in all those games because the Warriors didn't have Kevin Durant, and then uh, Igudala was out for part of that series too. Like. You can't really look at that ro- that team last year and say, "Oh yes, this is a formula for they're just going to run it back." And they're going to, and, 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 and then especially like some of the moves that uh, that they made. You know, they, they basically reshaped the entire roster outside of Dame and CJ in terms of like they let Aminu and Harkless go, and they brought in Whiteside, they brought in Collins, they brought in, or not Collins, uh, Baysmore, but they brought in some other guys. Whiteside has been about as advertised to me. He's, you know, he has games where he makes a lot, a big impact on the defensive end, like the Chicago game the other night, uh, and he puts up big numbers, but. You know, the effort is inconsistent on that end. Uh, and he, he he seems like he's more, you know, he's kind of more of like an empty numbers guy than, you know, a really impactful defensive player. He's basically, he basically is the player that he was in Miami. Bazemore, I thought, would be better. But my expectations coming into the year were, yeah, they could, they're, they're, they'll be a playoff team. They will, you know, they'll... Maybe they can win a round if they get the right matchup. But do I think they're going to get back to the Western Conference Finals? No. Do I think their championship is a realistic thing for them? Certainly not. So that was my expectations going into the season. That's kind of still where I'm at now. I I mean, the, the thing about it to me, Tara, is with Dame and Stotts, your floor is pretty high. Mm-hmm. Like, because just those two guys, you know, like— Terry, you know, gets guys to overachieve. You know, he gets the most out of the talent that he has. You, you've seen this has happened so consistently over the years. And then Dame is just so steady and and he's and he's so consistent and he's so reliable and he's so durable. And you know, you he you have CJ there too. You know, who, who's also a, a threat offensively. Like their floor is very high. I still do. I even with this start that they had. They've had bad starts with this group before like they're I and then they go on a run in January or February. I still expect that the Blazers at the end ultimately as long as Dame is healthy, I think they're going to make the playoffs. Do I expect them to get out of the first round? Probably not, but I I think they're still I think they still a playoff team and that's about where I was before the season started.
0: I think with the Blazers what I need to do is just um like add one more round of playoffs to where I think they're going to, because like my whole, they overachieve every
1: year. You might as well.
0: They do. Like I said, because they do things right. And when you do things right, you have everything in place so that you can capitalize on things like luck. Um, And, you know, when you've got everything laid out, then, you know, you can run, you just have a better opportunity to get all the way through it. I have one last uh, question about Mello before we transition. Um with Melo playing I I don't expect necessarily that he's going to, you know, get Western
1: Conference player of the week every week for the rest of the season. <laughs> I, I think um, you got to you got to take the one Western Conference player of the week award that he got. Like I think that's I think probably that's amazing. All
0: you're I'm so yeah. excited about it. And I just I, it just infuriates me that there are people out there who are, you know, I've seen on Twitter like Blazer fans who are like, you know, oh, I, this is, you know, I'm just like just everybody just relax,
1: just enjoy it. Melo is on, on both, things fun. On both on both sides, like if you want to they want to give Mello Western Conference Player of the Week, like it's not a travesty and it's also not proof that this is like the greatest comeback story of all time. Like yeah. it's, fine. it's it's fun. It's, a, it's a player of the week award in November. Who cares? Like that's we, that's.
0: Yeah. Can we just have fun and not overanalyze it?
1: <laughs> here's, my, here's what I want to know, Tara. I want to I want to know what, what, you, what you think about this. Remember, I know Melo has said that this isn't a farewell tour, so it's not quite the same situation. But Remember last year, Adam Silver created an extra All-Star spot in each conference—one for Dwayne Wade because he said he was retiring, and one for Dirk Nowitzki, who never said he was retiring, but everybody kind of saw that he was pretty washed and he was probably going to retire. I would imagine they're probably going to do something to honor Vince Carter uh, this year because he's—you he, know—he's 42, he's in his 22nd season, he is—he has is all but said, "Like I'm retiring after this season." And then Carmelo Anthony in the in the Western Conference balanced it out with out. Carmelo. Why, I mean, why sure, not? Sure, Why not? Like, like who knows? Like, like uh, would, would would you be shocked if they did kind of a similar thing? And I know, again, I know Melo has said this isn't a farewell tour, but you know he's thirty five. This is year seventeen. You can't really reasonably expect that. He's going to play much beyond this year. Yeah. So I I, I and I just want to see what the reaction is going to be if that happens, because all the players are going to be. It's going to be just like, you know, with his comeback, all the players are going to be super happy for him because he is revered among players. But then there are the same people who were mad about him winning player of the week this year or this week. Are going to be like this is a joke. Like Carmelo doesn't deserve to be in all. And and it's just I'm I'm not looking forward to the day that that happens if that happens just just to be on Twitter.
0: Yeah, I I think one thing that I can take away from this situation because I'm always trying to learn. One thing I can take away is to listen more carefully to players. Uh Um, I mean, it seems like I should have known that already, but this is just you know more evidence that uh, you know listen to what the players have to say and you know don't just dismiss them, you know, because we think that they're sticking up for their friend. No, it's like, this is somebody that, you know, they know knows how to play basketball. And like, that was a really good point that they all had. It's like, you could, you know, train young players up to learn how to play the game, but why not put somebody on the floor who actually does know the game? Like, it's it's worth the investment, especially, you know, with how much that they're actually paying him. But my, my last question was going to be, if Mello continues to play well, not exactly the same level, but playing, you know, well, um, do you think or at what point do you think it might change the Blazers plans? And by that, I mean, everybody, a lot of people are assuming that they're going to make a big trade at the deadline.
1: I still think they have a big move coming. Mm-hmm. What that is, I don't know. But you have Kent Bazemore making $19 million on an expiring contract. I think Whiteside is 27, So... They have these two big expiring contracts that they can dangle in trades. And, you know, if, if a team wants to get off of longer term salary, like, let, you know, let's say Cleveland decides, OK, you know, we we want to get off this Kevin Love money and completely rebuild from scratch. You know, the white side money kind of matches up. If it's purely a money dump, you know, they just could throw in a pick or something like there are moves they can make with those two contracts. If they just play it out with this current team the the way it is that money comes off the books they're mm-hmm. not going to have max cap space because you know they're paying dame a lot of money they're paying cj a lot of money uh you know they have you know Nurkic is on the books for uh, i think he's making like 12 or so like like they they they're they're going to have about 18 million in cap space which can basically get you a high level role player with what NBA salaries are now and then next year is all this coming summer is also just kind of a weak free agency class anyway the only star who's technically going to be a free agent is anthony davis and nobody thinks he's actually going to leave the lakers like the the the, the next big free agency class is 2021 when you got paul george Kawhi Leonard, giannis uh, a lot you know that that's the one that everybody's clearing out space for so having a lot of cap space this summer which they would do if they kept if they just kept uh Baysmore and Whiteside and, and and just kind of, you know, stood pat. That's not going to do them a lot of good, but if they trade for somebody like a Kevin Love or a LaMarcus Aldridge or uh Danilo Gallinari who's also expiring but they could extend him, then that's a way for them to get, you know, somebody that they can keep on the books uh, keep on the team long term. And because I mean, this mellow thing, like this is a great short-term solution and it's worked out so far about as well as you could expect it to work out, but Melo's 35. Melo was not a long-term solution. Melo, you know, who knows if he's going to keep us up the rest of the season. You can't just say, you know, just because Carmelo at age 35 had a really good, had one really good week where they played three bad teams, three, you know, three games against bad teams. Now we don't need to, you know, go out and make a trade for a legitimate upgrade at power forward. Like, I still expect at some point, I don't know who it's going to be. I don't know what the trade is going to be. I expect that they're going to make some kind of move to add an upgrade at that position to the deadline. And the thing that's going to be interesting to me is how Melo reacts to that, because right now he's starting at power forward because he has to start at power forward. Cause they don't have anybody else. Cause like I said, like you either your, your options are 19 year old Nasir little, who has made played like very few meaningful NBA minutes or Mario his or Anthony Tolliver, who are like not NBA players at this point. I think Melo, you know, he has said in the past, like when he was in Oklahoma City, it was a big thing where he said, like, I'm not going I'm not going to come off the bench. And then obviously in Houston, like like that was a whole thing. I think because he was out of the league for a year and he's just so happy to be on a team. I think now. His perspective has changed enough that if they bring in, let's say they do like do a trade with San Antonio, and bring back Lamarcus Aldridge, who clearly has to start a power forward, you know, because he's younger and he's better than Melo at this point. I think if if, that, if something like that happened where they brought in somebody who is clearly better than Melo at this point or Gallinari or somebody, I think he'd be OK with it because, again, he was just out of the league for a year. So his options are be out of the league again or be OK with coming off the bench and taking a slightly reduced role at age 35 when he's kind of now already had this you know victorious comeback to her.
0: Well, I think we should transition. You've said maybe five or six times already about uh, the Blazers coming, uh, having played three games against uh, – winning three games against two bad teams. So, like, I don't disagree that Chicago and OKC were uh, not uh, great teams. I mean they, they had pretty much the same record as the Blazers going in. So this was one where um, I look at it like it would have been really bad if they had lost – those games. right um i would have been more concerned about them losing than excited that i am about winning but i'm still excited about winning because like you were saying earlier you know winning is winning is good it, like you have to take
1: momentum. whatever you have to take even if you have a soft like part, part of the schedule and people can say oh well they you know they 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 won because they were playing these teams you still have to and like the blazers do it. <laughs> the blazers have lost to bad t- like they mm-hmm. lost to cleveland they lost to the Golden santa cruz they lost to the santa cruz warriors uh, like you know, they they have lost to bad teams. You know, you know, you, you see what San Antonio has kind of become this season. They lost to San Antonio early on in the year. Like they like they have lost to bad teams this year. So, you know, there was no guarantee. And, and even like Chicago, they they only won that game uh, against the Bulls, the second one by five. Like, the, like there was no guarantee that they were going to win that game. I think that you know they they pretty much had it in hand most of the time. But Chicago was competitive. Like. You have to take the easy wins when you can get them and not hand rings too much over, oh, well, you know, they did play these bad teams. But at the same time, you do have to put it in perspective of, you know, just because Carmelo did what he did against the Bulls and the Thunder or just because they had such an easy time beating the Bulls and the Thunder. That doesn't mean this coming week when they play the Clippers tomorrow and then they play the Lakers later in the week. And Sacramento, you know, Sacramento started off slow, but they've been a lot better lately. And then, you know, they've got Denver and Phoenix who are both going to be tough after that. You know, those, those are two pretty good teams. Like they if they can go like one, two, three, four, five, like they have six games, if they can go three and three in these next six games like that, they have to take that as a win given the level of competition.
0: Right. So how do they do that?
1: I don't know. I mean, you have to hope that when Carmelo is being guarded by Paul George and or Kawhi Leonard tomorrow against the Clippers, he's able to do the same stuff as when he's being guarded by Zach Levine when he's playing Chicago. I, I don't, I don't know. Like it's, it. it this is going to be a big test for them. But, you know, because and it, but I mean, I guess the one thing that gives me, I. Optimism, reason for optimism, I guess. You were is, gonna say
0: hope, but you didn't. That's very curious.
1: I'm saying I'm gonna <laughs> I was gonna say hope, but I like I'm also like I am not emotionally invested in this. I'm not a Blazers fan. So <laughs> like I got it. If I were a Blazers fan, this would give me hope. <laughs> but right now it gives you optimism, and that if is optimism. They haven't really gotten blown out this year. They that, that game against uh Houston on the road trip was their first double digit loss of the season for as bad and for as bad as they had looked before that you know they were in the game against philly that they won that they, that they lost on a last second shot by furcon cork mods they were in the uh the game against san antonio the first one that they came back like you know they, they milwaukee, were they, Milwaukee, milwaukee they, yeah, like milwaukee toronto with dame, they they played you know, to their competition and, and milwaukee with dame out you know the, the season opener against denver you know they they lost that game in the fourth quarter but they were you know they were you know they were, you know, they were in most of that game like they have been able to hang against these teams. It's just a matter of like they haven't been able to close it out. And I think I think having you know for as much as again like I have to say a million caveats because I I, I don't want people to come back to this in a month if, if you know if 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 they were in the tailspin again and, and people say oh well you said that Carmelo was going to turn the seats. like having another guy out there that teams have to respect and pay attention to because. Even though he did what he did in the last three games against bad teams, the fact that he did it means that he's capable of doing it. So he's capable of going off 20 or 25 points in a game. Teams have to guard him. And, you know, before that, you know, other than Dame and CJ, there's really nobody else on the Blazers that you have to look at and say, oh, well, we really have to pay attention to this guy. We can't let this guy get a shot late in the game. You put Carmelo Anthony out there, he is— Thirty-five-year-old Carmelo Anthony, who isn't the player he was five or ten years ago, he's still Carmelo Anthony. He's still a guy that commands a certain level of respect and a certain level of, te- of attention from opposing defenses. So, just having that guy out there that you have to respect, like that, that could be a difference. I mean, I'll be really interested to see how they do against this kind of tougher schedule in terms of opponents coming up. They have a pretty home-heavy schedule, so you would ho- you would you would hope that they would take care of some, uh, some, you know, uh, the majority of these games just because they're at home and, they, and they're not going to have a stretch this home heavy again the rest of the season. So, like, you know, they'd have to do that. But the competition level, besides the Thunder and Knicks games coming up, the competition level is going to be a lot tougher.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, there's some there's some tough games coming up. Um, not quite – they're not all on the road, so it'll lighten up a little bit. Um, one player – so we talked a ton about Carmelo. Um, but there's another player who had a pretty extraordinary game on um, – Uh, On Friday against Chicago. And that was, of course, Hassan Whiteside with his 10 blocks, his near triple double. Um, And what I wanted to ask you about Hassan Whiteside, I have a really hard time watching him because I don't know what I should be watching for. Here's the thing with Hassan Whiteside you touched on it earlier. You know, he can fill up the box score and you can be like, was he even there? Like it felt like there was a layup line to the uh, to the basket on some nights, but then on other nights it's like he's really protecting the rim. And some nights he gets blocks, but you're like, I didn't even feel the impact of that. But in that Chicago game, I really felt that he had an impact on the game. So like, what's going on there? How? What should I be watching for? Like for like, what does good Hassan Whiteside look like?
1: I mean, he. I just felt like he made a lot of smart plays in the Chicago game in terms of like, like he wasn't just kind of selling out for blocks, which is where you just like, you just jump at the first chance to block a shot, and then if the guy misses, you're not in position to get the rebound, which is the more important thing than the, than the than you getting credit for the block and you're making this highlight play. It's you know, it's been kind of it's been pretty inconsistent with him where, uh, you know, I, and I think the Blazers have kind of gone as he's gone. When he has a defensive effort like he did the other night against the Bulls. Usually they win, and when he's mailing it in on that end or he's you know just chasing blocks or chasing stats, they lose. And I think you coming into the season, you kind of hope that the ratio of good Hassan games and bad Hassan games would be two to one. It's been more like one to two so far. But I think the thing that's frustrating for, to, uh, about him for a lot of fans is He has games like he had against Chicago the other night, where he legitimately was a big reason why they won that game. You know, he he had a big impact on the defensive end. You know, even put aside the ten blocks, which is a nice round number, but he actually was, you know, his positioning and his and his rotations and all that stuff. That was all really solid in that game. And you see him do that. It's just like what we were talking about with Carmelo with the you know the Olympic stuff. You see that he has the ability to play that way and have that kind of impact. And you watch and you go, he's talented enough to do that. He has this skill set. Why doesn't he do it every night? And I do not know the answer to that question.
0: Mm-hmm. And I wonder if, because I don't know if you recall um, Yusuf Nurkic in when he was playing not after Nurk fever, but the beginning of the next season, he was in, incon- he had nights where he was inconsistent like that, where, yeah. you know, instead of going strong to the hoop, he'd flip it up and then stotch, stotch and Yank him. <laughs> yeah. um, and I haven't. Have we see Have you noticed that with uh, Hassan Whiteside? Or and they're kind of depleted. Like they, they don't really have that many bodies to send in if he's not having a great game. They have to kind of expect him be able to coach him from the sidelines, I guess.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. Like they, they, they don't really have any other options. Like, are you going to put? You know, you, are you going to expect Scal to be able to physically, you know, handle yeah, so some of the same stuff?
0: Minutes a night, right? right exactly.
1: <laughs> like he's all like he like Scal already has to play so much as it is, and then. Uh, you know, are you gonna throw Anthony Tolliver out there? Like I don't like he's not gonna be able to hang still. Like I think if the Blazers had another option at center and i think they thought pal gasol was going to be this but then obviously he was just never able to get healthy so that was kind of a non-starter but you know if they had another option who's like an nba caliber rotation big man that they could throw out there to you know sop up some of those minutes i have kind of thrown out the idea that maybe you know joe noah is a guy that they could look at at some point or whoever else is out there or like you know, you, you know there were lineups if zach collins was healthy there were lineups where you could play zach at the five like They just don't have any other options besides Whiteside. And so when he's having an off night or when he isn't giving the effort that he gave against Chicago on the defensive end, it's more glaring because there's no other options they can go to. They have to just ride it out with him because they just don't have anybody else to go to.
0: Well, because I've seen that he can play well, I'm going to continue to uh, give him the chance to settle in. Um, I know that you know we're almost a quarter of the way through the season, and hopefully, you know he'd be getting in a rhythm. But I also remember that with Mo Harkless, every single night was a night where somebody had to get him motivated, and once they did, and they unlocked it, he was great. And I just think maybe some players are like that, and uh, so I'm gonna just hold out hope because I am a fan. I'm gonna go ahead and hold out hope that uh, Hassan Whiteside figures that out because. I mean, we don't need, he doesn't need to do everything. And maybe that's it too. Is sometimes maybe he's just trying to do too much. What I love is when he gets a rebound with two hands and holds onto the ball. Like if he just did that, I would be so excited, Um, you know, and just get his hands out, make it make people have to go all the way around his body rather than just kind of like stepping to the side to get around him. Um, I think he can do it. And um, I just want to see it more consistent. Well, I think we have uh, we've talked a lot about Mellow, a little bit about the secret to the upcoming games. I think we should probably go ahead and wrap it up. Uh, you want to tell folks how they can find your work?
1: Yeah, I write pretty regularly at Bleacher Report. Uh, I will tweet. You can. I, I would say the easiest way to, to follow me is just follow me on Twitter at Hyken, which is just my last name at H-I-G-H-K-I-N. Follow me on there whenever I have stuff up. I will tweet it out probably multiple times. Uh, but so, you, you know, I have some stuff in the works, you know, I, I, I don't know exact dates on when stuff is going to go up, but, you know, I have a couple, I have like a mellow, I, you know, at least one mellow thing I'm working on a would imagine if, you know, this storyline keeps up, I'll probably have more mellow stuff. I have some other stuff I'm working on uh, for, you know, the coming weeks, coming months. So I've got some pretty cool stuff coming up, but I'll just, you know, just follow, I, I would say just follow me on Twitter. That's probably the easiest way to stay up on up to date on all that.
0: I'm rolling in that sweet, sweet content.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. It's all we can do, right?
0: Yeah. Well, that's awesome. I want to thank you for uh, jumping on tonight and um, talking about this since Dan wasn't able uh, available. I, there's that last episode out there now. I wish so badly that I could bring it back to share with people. But you know what? They're just going to have to enjoy what we did tonight. Um, I've got a couple things coming up. Uh, Tomorrow night is the – so Tuesday night is the next Women's Hoops and Talks meetup. And you're more than welcome to come anytime you want to. It's for supporters too. Uh, Women's Hoops and Talks meets once a month. We watch an away game at the McMinimins on Broadway. It's mostly women and people who want to know what we have to say about basketball. We uh, drink and eat tater tots and yell and scream and have a great time. So uh, anybody who wants to come out, we would love to see you on Tuesday night. (laughs) Excuse me, the other thing that I have going on is that uh, I've got friends at a nonprofit called Insight, which is I N C I G H T. And they help people, um, with who have disabilities or who have other challenges. Um, they they bring out the potential in people. They help them with education and unemployment and inclusion, and they are raffling off a basketball that's been, uh, autographed by all of the Portland Trailblazers. So you can go to the Insight website, insight, dot com, and, um, uh, on the front in their like tra- in their carousel, they have uh, a link that you can go to to buy a raffle ticket to have a chance to uh, get that basketball, which would be a great Christmas present for a um, uh, for a Trailblazer fan. And I will put a link to that in the notes. Let's see. You can find me on Twitter at TCBBigs. You can follow the Hoops and Talks podcast, or you can follow the Blazers Edge podcast at Blazers Edge, and you can find it in any podcast uh, app. You, can, you will get the weekly podcast. You will also get the Women's Hoops and Talks episodes and any other preview episodes that we've been putting out about some of the teams that we uh, Blazers are going to be playing That's a lot of stuff. I'm going to stop talking now. I want to thank everyone for listening. Thank you, Sean. We will talk to you later.